The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This month on The Compliance Life, my guest is Lewis Sapperman, Vice President, Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer and Chief Compliance Counsel for Panasonic Corporation of North America, the principal North American subsidiary of Panasonic Corporation. He oversees the company's regulatory and compliance function, maintaining a culture of ethics and ensuring all employees are upholding Panasonic's long-standing values in their work. Sapperman previously served as Associate General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer for the Dun & Bradstreet Corporation. During his tenure as CCO, the company was recognized as one of the world's most ethical companies by Ethisphere. Prior to moving in-house, he worked in private practice with several law firms, including Wilmer Cutler at Pickering, Hale & Door, and Buchanan Ingersoll. Throughout his career, Sapperman has been recognized for his work. In both 2015 and 2016, Ethisphere Institute named him to their list of attorneys who matter in compliance and ethics, and in 2010, he was named International Employment Lawyer of the Year by the Associates Association of Corporate Counsel. The topics we explore this month include... In Episode 1, The Personal and Professional Journey of a CCO. In Episode 2, Qualities of the Successful CECO. In Episode 3, How Communication Can Be Used as a Driver of Culture. And in Episode 4, Sapperman looks at his crystal ball, where the profession is going into the 2020s and beyond. It's a great series, and I know you will enjoy it. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for Lewis Sapperman uh, with Lewis Sapperman in our concluding fourth episode of our four part series on Lewis's life in uh, the compliance life. Uh, today, we're going to take a look at uh, that veiled land of the future and what Lewis's crystal ball might show us about where the profession is going forward. So, Lewis, first of all, uh, welcome back. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to it. Lewis, uh, we've had several uh, really uh, big events, uh, not only with coronavirus and COVID-19, with economic dislocation, but even uh, within a month of recording this podcast, the Department of Justice updated their 20 uh, with a 2020 evaluation of corporate compliance programs and have released a second edition of the FCPA Resource Guide. And one of the things that has struck me is, particularly around coronavirus, was that trends that we had been seeing have accelerated, and in some cases accelerated greatly. So I wanted to start with uh, the trend that we certainly had seen prior to 2020 in compliance, which is data. But now with uh, coronavirus and COVID-19, but now we have the Department of Justice really focusing on data, data, data. So I was wondering if you might be able to give us a few words about where you would see the compliance profession going uh, down that path. Data is certainly a, a topic I, I love. Um, uh, I spent uh, the first part of my career in compliance with uh, Dun & Bradstreet, which is uh, a straight data company. And uh, so 
Uh, it's uh, something that uh, that's close to my heart. I, I will say, as compliance professionals, it it's not always easy to find the right data. Uh, and when we do, we start collecting it, which is great. But we have to move beyond collecting, and we even have to move beyond just metrics. I would say that we have to start thinking about data as a driver of actionable insight. What I mean by that is, when you collect that data, how is it that you are using it to explain to senior leaders in your organization or to your board the changes that the company needs to make in order to meet the future? Data is all we have to help us see where trends are going. And if you don't use those trends to actually drive change in your program and change in your company, data is actually possibly more detrimental than it is helpful. So to me, it gets beyond collection and it gets beyond straight metrics. It really gets to insight. Using data, whether it's internal data, whether it's benchmark data or otherwise, to drive insight. And not that that insight's always going to be correct, but uh, thoughtful insight driven with good judgment is frankly what I think the compliance function needs to be providing to uh, take us into uh, that into the future, into the next level of compliance. Lewis, another trend we had been seeing uh, up to COVID nineteen, and certainly I think a lot of people are more are more focused on now are corporate social responsibility or CSR and supply chain as they relate to compliance. I was wondering what your thoughts might be on those two areas. Compliance, I think, has gotten very good at. Uh, seeing themselves as the leaders of what I'll call third-party compliance, uh, doing due diligence uh, on the suppliers and the vendors that uh, you operate with. But what about their supply chains? What are they doing in their supply chains? How are you actually driving behavior up and down the supply chain? I think that for many years, it's been seen as procurement's role to actually work with the supply chain and ensure that the supply chain is operating smoothly. But with the expertise that compliance brings in due diligence, along with the supply chain expertise that procurement brings, I think they have to come together. If they remain separate, you're not really driving uh, true CSR. Uh, because the fact is that uh, if you're looking at your supply chain from the perspective of, am I getting good quality? Am I getting good price? Those are very important business metrics, no question about it. But if you're not looking at it from the perspective of, am I doing it the right way? Then you're missing the boat on one CSR uh, and how uh, the uh, impact you're having on society as a company. 
at Panasonic, uh, doing good in society is, is one of our business principles. And I think that that coming together, that joining of procurement and compliance is something that we have to see more and more over the next uh, couple of years or companies will uh, will be frankly operating in too siloed a manner to meet the needs of uh, our regulators, our uh, stakeholders in the company, and society as a whole. Lewis, as um, the compliance profession has grown, we have seen uh, calls for greater professionalism. We have seen, once again, the Department of Justice even uh, has made the professionalism of your compliance team, your compliance function, and your CCO uh, a more of a relevant inquiry that they would make. But we're also seeing academic institutions and others begin to embrace compliance as an academic discipline. Where do you see that going? So. I have for several years been a, uh, an advocate of professionalizing compliance and getting certifications is important, uh, whether it be the CCEP or others. Uh, there, are, there are certainly other great certifications in the compliance space. But I, I think that in order to move the profession forward, as a profession, we actually need the help of uh, institutions of higher learning to take it seriously and not just teach a class on ethics or teach a class on business law and think that that's compliance. It's not. We actually need programs that will bring professionals in ethics and compliance out of law schools and out of undergraduate institutions into uh, the compliance profession in a meaningful way. So this summer, I am really proud that we were able to uh, to work with uh, St. Thomas School of Law that has a, a strong ethics and compliance program. We have an intern, uh, Brandon, who is working with us, and he's doing a great job, even remotely from Minnesota. Uh, we're, we're based in New Jersey, but uh, but having him with us, uh, one, to help him learn the profession, but two, to get his insights from uh, from a school of higher education that's talking a lot about the issues we're working on. Uh, there's an incredible symbiosis there. And I think that the more and more uh, we see things like you say, the DOJ and others that talk about the profession, I think we're going to start seeing schools of higher education uh, really embracing the concept of majors and concentrations in, uh, in ethics and compliance. Luce, we've had a couple of issues that once again were certainly percolating uh, in the last decade, uh, the second decade of this year, but have become much more prominent um, after or during COVID-19. And I wanted to maybe get your thoughts on how the CECO and CCO really need to think through those. And the first is privacy. Obviously, GDPR uh, has been enforced for a couple of years uh, hopefully at some point we'll have uh, privacy legislation in the United States. But the other one is trade. And this has been a, a, a very big part of this administration and their 
foreign policy, their economic policy, and other policies. Uh, but uh, my sense is that it's it's really not going to go away, uh, no matter who the administration is. So how does uh, that really impact the job that you do and where you see you may be taking it? I think there's a, still a lot of compliance teams that see themselves as pretty much uh, the team that enforces the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. They mostly focus on anti-bribery and anti-corruption. That's not a bad thing. I'm not suggesting that that's not important. But the next generation of compliance has to do more than that, I think, for organizations. Because there are emerging areas in the law and in the regulatory landscape, which are as big and as hairy as uh, anti-corruption and anti-bribery. Privacy is absolutely one of them. Uh, Clearly, with GDPR, many companies have been in the weeds uh, on privacy for the last several years. However, the question is how many compliance teams are actively there? and helping drive a culture uh, that is uh, privacy aware. It's one thing to have in place the privacy policies and the privacy uh, process that you need. It's another thing to have employees that are constantly thinking about privacy as a, a risk, an area of risk that they should be considering. Uh, and if you are going to consider yourself uh, a, a great compliance team, you want to make sure that your employees are building compliance into everything they're doing. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean making sure that they aren't paying bribes? Of course it does, but that's not enough. They actually have to be thinking more broadly and you have to expand your view of the universe as a compliance team beyond that anti-corruption, anti-bribery footprint uh, to other areas. And from my perspective, privacy, although GDPR is huge uh, and you have the the California law and now potentially uh, amendments to that, we're not done by any means. Privacy laws are, are burgeoning around the world and changing constantly. It's, uh, it's an area of, of consistent and constant movement. And so I think compliance teams can play an important role in ensuring that, uh, that their employee bases are staying constantly vigilant and aware uh, of privacy issues in their space, uh, because frankly, that's going to be as important and as large a risk to most, most businesses uh, as any other going forward. I think the trade area is uh, fascinating. Uh, you mentioned this this administration's view of trade, but globally, I think it's fair to say that trade has become a uh, a fascinating issue. It's not just uh, the U.S. administration, but uh, com- countries around the world are taking uh, a much different look. Uh, about their own trade regulations and how they approach uh, global trade. And again, uh, if you as an organization 
don't have awareness throughout your employee base of the changing landscape that exists in uh, trade controls and customs uh, regulations, then you'll likely be missing a very large boat. And that is an area of, uh, of significant risk as well uh, going forward that I really feel that uh, compliance teams uh, will need to embrace more uh, as part of their bailiwick uh, to to truly drive the value that they uh, that they need to for organizations uh, in the future. Lewis, if I could end with um, the uh, obviously COVID-19 and the economic dislocation have been major influences, if not impacts on compliance programs, but perhaps even larger has been the uh, external cultural realities. And in a prior podcast, we talked about how Black Lives Matter had impacted you personally, but it's also impacted many corporations. And in the age of social media, where the amplification of a message of a this step of a foobar or of a positive step uh, can be so much broader and so much faster. Uh, we we now have, in my mind, in many ways, converged uh, risk and compliance in a way that we perhaps had not done so before. So in this work environment where we have risks that perhaps six months ago were not on our radar, but now are not only first and foremost, but directly implanted in front of us, sometimes even on a daily basis, what's the importance of um, the compliance professional to not simply understand risk, the risk a corporation has, but help manage that risk, and even from a billion business resiliency uh, perspective going forward? So risk comes in many forms. And I think that compliance professionals uh, generally are comfortable with understanding compliance risk. Interestingly, I think that compliance risk exists in lots of places. It's not just the common uh, places you would expect. And so I believe that over the coming years, you will see more compliance teams working much more closely with uh, the risk, the other risk professionals in an organization, driving enterprise level risk. It, it's interesting. You have many parts of an organization that are required to do risk assessment. And folks are going to, uh, to their boards and their senior leadership teams. And they're saying, look, I've got, uh, here's a top 10 risks in, uh, in compliance. Let's do something about it. And somebody else is coming in and saying, here's our top 10 risks in uh, IT security. Let's do something about it. And somebody else is coming in. Here's our top 10, top 10 strategic risks. And you've got innumerable risk assessments happening potentially in an organization. And if all you're doing is providing a list of the top 10 of everything, you're actually not providing much insight into the board and into senior leadership about what their real risk profile is and the opportunities within those risks. So the more that risk-based professionals, including compliance professionals, can come together to give a greater, more holistic picture of an organization's risk, the more insight they can actually drive to the board 
and to the senior leadership, the more uh, insight that's actually uh, that's actionable. So I think that convergence of compliance with risk will actually drive much more value for organizations going forward. And with the risks that have come recently, as you you mentioned, cultural risks, and uh, and we've we've talked about several other risks, uh, even in in this podcast. Compliance, the lines of compliance are getting blurred. So a compliance professional would be, um, I think, it would be really smart for them to uh, learn as much as they can about uh, the various risk frameworks, like the COSO framework and others, uh, so that they can be as much a part of an organization's risk uh, universe as possible to make sure that compliance risks are in fact getting raised in the right way and and mitigated in the right way, but also so the compliance perspective can be brought to how an organization operates in each of the various areas of risks that uh, that they're facing. Lewis, this has just been a fascinating series. I've uh, probably enjoyed this as much as uh, any of our listeners. So I wanted to really thank you for taking the time to visit with me for uh, the August version of The Compliance Life. It has been my pleasure. And uh, first time we've done a podcast and we haven't even been able to talk about the Big Ten because uh, unfortunately not not much has happened in there. But, uh, but hopefully we'll get back to that at some point too. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode with, in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on the Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.